You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. What's up, my people? This is episode 83 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and that is what you're listening to right now, in case you were unaware. Sometimes I just throw on podcasts and I got no idea what I'm listening to, but in this case, guess what? I just told your dumbass what you're listening to, okay? What are we talking about today? Well, we have a real talk with the Vimpcron, which I'm sure you already saw in the title, and that is Old Hammer is a Bad Idea. We will discuss that at length. You know what else is at length? Uh, Mark's email to me at pimpcron at gmail.com, and he was asking about figuring out some issues with the Age of Sigmar starter sets and also paint scheme, and boy, do I prattle on about that. I got He got me all excited. Uh, I also have a want that or want that not about the new Gazskull model, and I will not tell you up front how I feel about that. I will wait to hear, I will wait for you to hear what that's like in that segment of the show. That's how this whole thing works. You you have to wait, okay? So I apologize in advance if you can hear gunshots in the background. Yeah, this is going to be, this is start, starting off weird already, isn't it? My neighbor is shooting outside, and... I don't think he knows I have a podcast I'm trying to record, and if I go out there, he may shoot me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're cool. I like that guy. Uh, no, you know, I have, like, the best defended road in the country, guaranteed. I live out in the country, more or less, and, th- like, there is not... Man, probably five days a week, somebody is outside shooting, off in the distance or nearby. But in any of these segments, if you hear gunfire, I'm going to try to edit them all out, but if you hear gunfire in the background, I am not a victim of gang violence. I am actually a neighbor to someone who is target practicing with a rifle. That's what that is. So... Now that that's out of the way, what have I been up to? Well, I played a really cool game against my friend Luke last week, and I played my Drakari, and it just so happened, like, the table situation at the game club, we ended up having to play a two-on-two. I had actually challenged him to a 1v1, but alas, that that did not work out. So my Drakari teamed up with Chaos Space Marines versus Luke's Ultramarines teamed up with some Admech. And we were very excited that we were able to win that game. And we won, I don't even remember now. We won 10 to 5 after I did a little math. And it was a good game. I really enjoyed it. Um, what I realized is Drakari is the answer to all the Space Marine cheese. I got to tell you, there's a couple reasons for this. The Drakari have a lot of involves and a lot of feel no pains, which is awesome against all this AP shenanigans Space Marines can put out. Also, Drakari is more or less a horde army with a ton of transports, a ton of units, a ton of models. They can become fearless. They're fast. you got a ton of stuff running at you. They've got poison weapons, so it doesn't matter whether they're in Gravis armor with Toughness 5. Who gives a crap? I'm still wounding you on a 4-up. There are a lot of things good for Drakari versus Space Marines. So I'm a little surprised I never heard about that as a counter to the Space Marines meta. I don't know. I have also been working on solo missions versus the AI for Brutality and our new book that will be coming out shortly, and I have really been enjoying that. We've got one so far, which is essentially 
an old-fashioned swarm mission where you got to make it across the board and clusters of enemies keep popping up. And essentially, think of it like a Dawn of the Dead style, you know, lots of zombies come up. Or you can make it swarms of, I don't know, Ripper Swarms or Necron Scarabs or just scuttling swarms of stuff. It's just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of weak enemies, but boy, will they mess you up while you're trying to escape. So personally, I like to think of it kind of like a zombie outbreak sort of thing. And uh, that's a lot of fun. So we also have another one where you are defending treasure or something important and they are trying to take it from you. But all of the enemy models have their own quirks. Some of them absolutely hate your support units. Some of them hate your fast. Some of them hate your heavy, etc. Or your, uh, your ranged, etc. And then some of them just want the objective. And it's pretty cool. And it's random every time. You roll for the different models every time you play that mission. And they all have their own quirks. And they deploy really, you know, around you. They'll deploy closest to that person that is their target. So that's also really fun. Uh, as you should probably know by now, because of my Epic War Planner, I'm really, really into AI rules for wargaming, and uh, that's what I'm doing with Brutality, too. Here, a bunch of people complain about a lot of skirmish games, like Warcry and whatnot, do not have solo rules. So, I already have the 10, technically 11 missions in the Brutality rulebook that are for player versus player. Actually, no. 10 that are player versus player, 1 that is players versus a giant monster, and then these two so far, but uh, I've got a couple others in the works, but they're not finished. So I am very excited about that. We've also been playing our campaign at the store, but we did not do it last week. So we will be doing it this week. Very excited about that as our campaign is growing. And I think that's about it, honestly. I've uh, been doing the normal stuff, which is, um, you know, the articles and the podcast and working on brutality. And I started a warband for a assassin prostitute warband, which is also going to be a minor faction in the Brutality Rulebook, which is a new faction. And uh, it's pretty cool. In a in a realm where you can't die, such as Brutality, it's um it's kind of funny to have assassins, but essentially they're kidnappers. They're not assassins, so they can you know tranquilize you or poison you or whatever, and then they ship you off to get the bounty for whatever you were accused of. So that's pretty cool. Also, it's a bunch of sexy ladies and sexy dudes that are, you know, hiding knives on them and, or they're, you know, sex dolls that have giant blades that whip out of their arms when they're ready to assault or something. It's, it's pretty cool. So anyway, it's about time we weaponize sex dolls. That's, that is what I've been trying to tell you. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all my Patreon subscribers. I so greatly love you all. I think about you in my dreams. I also think about you on the toilet. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Welcome to another edition of the Tesseract mailbox. And today we have a letter from Mark. And this is via pimpcron at gmail.com. He writes, Hello, I recently discovered your podcast as I am working on getting back into 40k and Age of Sigmar after a break since 40k 5th edition. I have started by getting the Stormcast Eternal Army by getting the Soul Wars box and the 1st edition starter box. Basically, the Thunderstrike Brotherhood box. If you guys recall, that um, that was um, half Corn Bloodbound, half Stormcast, 
and um, that's they've rolled that over into a separate Stormcast start collecting box now. All that stuff. The Lord Relictor, the um, uh, Celestine on Drakoth, the three Retributors, the three Prosecutors, and uh, the ten Liberators, I think it is. So that is, that's what he's talking about there. Basically, the Thunderstrike Brotherhood box. I have two questions I hope you can help with. One, would it be better to use the Tempest of Souls box to fill the partial squads than buying the two-piece partial squads? And number two, any tips for tackling painting? I'm looking at a huge project with this now, and I'm hoping for some tips on how to tackle it. Well, you came to the right place, Mark. First off, there's a couple things I'd like to say. Thank you for listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. And I'm very excited to hear when people get back into the hobby, because I think we can all agree that this is a good thing in our life, uh, unless you can't pay your bills because you're spending too much money, or uh, you know, you're getting divorced because you spend too much time on it. If, if you're clearing both of those two things... I think everyone can agree that getting back into this hobby is a good thing. So, another thing I want to mention is, uh, you mentioned 5th edition 40k. Ah, 5th edition 40k. That is when I started Warhammer, period. That's when I discovered what Warhammer was. I had never heard of miniature wargaming or even historicals. I had no idea about any of it. And that was about 10-ish years ago. And, uh, I have very, very fond memories of 5th edition, until, of course, the Blood Angels and Grey Knights codexes came out, and uh, that was that was pretty harsh. Anyway, back to the point. So, you have a essentially the Stormcast half of the Start Collecting for Soul Wars, and the half of Start Collecting for the original starter set for Age of Sigmar. Unfortunately, you have obviously ran into the issue that GW just loves to do in starter boxes, which I don't know why they love to do this, but... They will give you round numbers of troops or, you know, battle line in Age of Sigmar, things like that. They will give you round numbers like, oh, I can buy liberators in groups of five. Well, here's five liberators and five more liberators. I can buy sequiturs in groups of five, you know, points-wise, I mean. Um, And they're like, okay, well, here's, you know, ten sequiturs. Cool, that's really cool. Prosecutors, groups of three. Awesome. That's exactly what I need. Uh, the ballistas from Soul Wars. Oh, they can be in a group of one. Awesome. This sounds just peachy. Then you get to the retributors from the original set or the evocators from the Soul Wars set. And the retributors come in groups of five, but the original starter set and this start collecting set, Thunderstrike Brotherhood, gives you three retributors. And the Evocators come in groups of five from the Soul Wars box, but they give you three of them. Why the hell would they not give you a usable group of people is beyond me, honestly. I I don't... I guess it's because they want you to buy more than one box. I guess it's because they want you to not have enough and you have to buy more. That is kind of a crappy thing for them to do. The other argument for that would be that maybe they don't include any elite units like Retributors or the Evocators and, you know, just give you more troops, but that would be kind of boring. So you could look at it both ways. You can look at it as them being uh, money-grubbing jerks, or you can look at them as, hey, they're doing me a favor, they're at least giving me some, right? And you can't exactly do half of five, so they give you three. So what I personally did for this is... Now, I ended up buying at least two of the original starter sets, and I kept both sides because I play Corn Bloodbound and I play Stormcast. 
but uh, that still gave me an issue because, once again, with the Retributors, you buy a starter set and get three. I need five. I buy another starter set and get three more. Awesome, I have six, but I can only use five. So, once again, stupid, stupid, stupid. So, what I ended up doing is, at the time, they sold a easy-to-build box of just two Retributors for $15. And that ends up obviously being $7.50 per model, which is cheaper than the $10 per model they charge for a box of five Retributors. And not to mention a box of five Retributors would be no help to you anyway, because you are trying to finish this group of five that you started with. Suddenly you would have eight Retributors and you still need ten. It's so frustrating. So... I looked on the GW website, and if you are worried about just fleshing out that group of retributors, and you don't really care about everything else, then the cheapest way to go about it would be get that $15 box of just two retributors, and hey, you've got five retributors. The weird thing about these start these uh, easy build boxes of just two models is that it comes with a sergeant, and the starter set also comes with a sergeant. So now you've got two sergeants. I, I don't make the rules here, Mark. I, I don't know why they do this. But uh, so that would be probably the cheapest thing to do. The easy build box for $15, get two retributors, and boom, you got five. Now, there's an issue with this. I just looked on the website, and they no longer, seemingly, they no longer sell the easy build retributor box of two retributors. I'm certain you can find them online. There's nothing special about them. I'm sure you can look on Amazon or eBay or wherever. Maybe a local store still has them. That's actually where I bought that extra box is um, a local store. So hopefully you can find those. In the meantime, the Evocators, you've got a couple different options. Yes, you mentioned that that other box, what is it called? The Tempest of Souls box does come with two more evocators, which is cool. It also comes with another ballista. It comes with five more um, sequiturs and uh, five more castigators and all that. So really, that's not a bad box at all. For $80, you get all of that, not to mention the other half, which is all night haunt. So for $80, that is probably your cheapest price, bang for your buck, best economy per model is the $80 Tempest of Souls box. And it does solve your evocator issue. The other way to go about that is that for, once again, if you're just aiming to fill out the evocators and you don't really care to spend the extra money, there is a Warhammer Underworlds box set that is, let me find it on here, it is called, so you can search it, it is called the Stormcast Eternals Storm Sires Curse Breakers set, and that's for Warhammer Underworlds, and that is only $25, and that comes with two Evocators, which is what you'll need to finish out the five, and it also comes with a really, really cool-looking dude that otherwise I don't think you can buy anywhere else. He's... Oh, man, what's the lady's name? I can't remember. The lady with the three crystals from the Storm... Uh, the Soul Wars box, you know, the the HQ. I cannot recall her name, but he looks like a really cool alternative to her model. He's got, like, fire coming out of his hand, and he's got a really cool staff he's holding up in the air. And officially, he is not really anything. It's weird, because 
in the description of this box set for $25, they call him Averon Stormsire, which means nothing to me as far as, like, is he an evocator? Is he something else? I don't know. But then it goes on to say, and the evocators Amis and Rastus. So, the two people in the back of the picture, when you look at the Stormsire's Cursebreakers, they are evocators. They'll fell out your squad. And then you also get this really, really cool model that you can you know, replace that lady with, or in addition to that lady. Because most models, you don't ever notice that they're the same model, unless you're talking about characters. And if you don't care to have two of the same woman, and you're not going to kitbash her, he is a really cool alternative. So if you are talking simply to finish out your Evocators and your Retributors, for $15 MSRP online, get two more Retributors, and for $25, get two more Evocators and this guy that's seemingly an HQ. That would be, what, 40 bucks, and boom, you're done. You're, you've got whole units, and then you can start buy, buying real boxes from there if you want to in the future. That's what I would suggest. Um, but if you're actually talking about bang for your buck and you really don't care about spending a little extra money, that... Stormstrike, is that what you call it? The Stormstrike box. No, Tempest of Souls, sorry. The Tempest of Souls box for $80 gives you way more for your money. And it really depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, of course, you could always take five more uh, sequiturs in the... <laughs> I cannot... Tempest of Souls? I cannot remember this. Tempest of Souls box. The, uh, you know, you, you get a lot more stuff, and the ballistas are pretty good. I think Castigators are generally garbage. I don't care for Castigators at all. The Ballistas are not bad. And what's also really, really cool is that one of the people... You know, there's three people that come with the Ballista for Stormcast. They, uh, there's an HQ for Stormcast. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that army just yet because you said you're just starting out. But there's an HQ for Stormcast called a Lord Ordinator. And, of course, he's like $40 or something stupid. But what I did, and what I suggest other people do, is from the Soul Wars box, you take your Ballista crew, and you there's one guy with, like, a sextant, the curved, you know, I don't know what you even call it, trying to figure out the, you know, distance or whatever for the Ballista. And there's another guy holding something else. What I did is both of those arms can be swapped and put on the same model. So I made a Lord Ordinator essentially for free by giving him the sextant and also giving him, oh, it's this big wrench thing. In the other arm, giving him this big wrench thing. And the Lord Ordinator is pretty darn good. It's used in a lot of lists, specifically to buff ballistas, which is nice. So you take a regular old Stormcast dude, throw him in there with the ballista crew, and now you've got a Lord Ordinator to buff your ballistas. And that was free. You didn't need, uh, you know, to buy a $40 model for that. But honestly, now that I have discovered this Stormsire's Cursebreakers, dude, I want this guy. This this leader dude is awesome. He's really, really cool looking. And I'm curious, I'm going to have to go count what my Evocator situation is. I know I have five, but I have bought probably three Soul Wars boxes. So I'm probably at that issue again where, hey, I've got, what, nine 
uh, nine evocators at this point from three boxes. So I still need another evocator. And for $25, I get this HQ, which I really want, and the one evocator that I need, and then another evocator's kind of chilling in the background. But, uh, anyway, I hope I haven't blabbered on long enough, but it's kind of a weird and complex situation how they're doing this. The last thing that you mentioned, and I'm sorry that I'm being so long-winded here, the last thing you mentioned was a color scheme, and I will say this again and again and again. Matter of fact, I think there's even an issue or an episode from the last year and a half we've been doing the show that talks about color schemes and things like that. But the name of the game, if you're just a normal, average, everyday player, is simplicity and duplication. So there are two different ways to go about this. Stormcast and, actually, Nighthaunt are two awesome factions that are super easy to paint, and they're great for beginners. So I think that was a really good choice for them to put into the starter set. The Stormcast, you should treat just like Space Marines. They're, the bulk of them is one color. So one way to go about this, kind of the more old school way of doing this, is you pick a primer from GW or Army Painter has a very wide selection of colored primers, spray primers. And you pick one of those that you like and you pick a shade or two higher, you know, lighter of color because you're going to be washing it. And you pick a, you know, medium or a slightly lightish blue. You spray the whole model with that. And then you wash all the blue parts with blue wash. And then, boom shakalaka, you've got a medium colored blue. And then, of course, then you just go about the details. But the bulk of the model is painted right then and there. If you're going for gold, like the regular, I don't know what they're called, Anvils of Sigmar or whatever they're called for Stormcast... The typical blue and gold dudes, they've got Retributor Gold Spray for Games Workshop. It's very expensive, but it will save you a ton of time. It's like 20 bucks for a spray can. The, the thing is, it will save you a bunch of time, and it will not be glossy the way that store-bought spray cans of gold will be, because they are all very, very glossy, and Wash does not like to stick to them very well at all. Trust me. So... It's a good idea to actually buy the Retributor Gold spray can and then wash it with like Seraphin Sepia. And that gives you, it makes it look like you've spent so much time on your stuff and you spent no time on your stuff. That's the old way of doing it. Choose a main color for your primer, prime the whole thing one color, wash that color, boom, it's done, then add some details, some other colors. The new way of doing that, many people find, especially with armor like Space Marines or Stormcast, is that all the contrast paints that have come out with GW, what you're supposed to do with those is generally you spray paint them white, and then you just use the contrast paint, and it's essentially paint and wash in one. So it's going to give you a lot of color variation, it's going to be darker in all the crevices and lighter on the surfaces, and it looks really good. My friend Josh did his entire Beastman army with only contrast paints, and it is looking banging. Like, it's really, really good. The second and final part of a color scheme for choosing a color scheme is what I said in the beginning, duplication. Make sure that you're not mixing paint and you're not going to not be able to match it a year later when you want to add to the army. Make sure that whatever you're doing is off the shelf you know, if you're buying a spray primer, make sure you write down or you keep the label exactly what brand and what color it is. Then when you use a wash, go ahead and do that. Um, some of my more complex 
models, such as my uh, Tempesters for uh, Stormcast. It's funny, this just came up the other day, and my friend Derek was like, hey, how'd you, what colors did you s- use to paint those Drakoths for your Tempesters? And I was like, oh, uh, the Dark Angels Caliban Green, and then Moot Green for highlighting. And then I happened to look under the base, and past me was smarter than future me, because past me wrote down what colors I used underneath the base, and come to find out I was wrong, it was warp glow green or something like that warpstone green and then moot green so if i were to go and paint two more tempesters i would look at the model and go oh well i think it's caliban green and moot green come to find out no it's not i would end up with two more tempesters that were much darker in skin color and i would be irritated because i thought i knew but i didn't so either keep a file on your computer or do what i do paint it if you're if it's weird colors you don't know, can't readily identify, I would paint them underneath the base and say, hey, warp stone glow green and moot green or whatever. And that is setting you up to win, not setting you up to fail. All right, I have talked far too long about this. I apologize, Mark. I apologize, everybody. But you asked not one but two questions, and you asked not one but two complicated questions, which I am super thrilled you wrote to me. But it just made me really long-winded, because these are two things that I'm really excited about and passionate about. And just recently, I've had a hard-on for Stormcast anyway, so now I'm all in the Stormcast mood. Alright, this segment is over with. You can take a breather. Want that, or want that not? Alright, this is the segment we call Want That or Want That Not. I am pissed off. I'm doing this a little bit out of order because I'm so infuriated by the new Gaskall Thraka model that Warhammer or Games Workshop has produced. I'm upset. I'm hurt. I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm dehydrated. I am erect. No, 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 not erect. Not erect. Um, I'm very, very upset over this model. It's so stupid looking. If you haven't seen it, you park your car right now, you look at it on the phone, and you're going to feel dumber for having seen this idiotic model. God, I hate it. It's... Okay, actually, I'm, I'm just completely joking. I love this model. Absolutely love it. Love at first sight when I saw this model. Now, I know it is slightly divisive. I know there's a lot of people that are making stupid complaints about this model, there's a lot of other people that are like, hey, why are you replacing Gaskell's model? Gaskell's model's perfectly fine. Okay, there's something called scale creep, and we all know what it is. It's the elephant in the room. Gaskell Urthraka, or whatever his last name is. Gas Gaskell Thraka is getting bigger all the time. That's what orcs do. It's even in the lore. They get larger and larger as they fight, and they get older, and they survive battles. So, he... We have not seen the model in comparison to any other models currently, but this looks to be larger than a Hellbrute. He looks to be a massive model, and I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am for this model. Uh, I've never even... You know, it's funny, because I play Orcs, and I don't even run Gaskall. Like, I've never, maybe one time in my life, have, have ran Gaskall. I have the Gaskall model, I just never play it. Matter of fact, I always used him as a generic 
war boss in mega armor, even though that's not a thing anymore. Um, but this is just an amazing model. If you haven't seen it, he is in a hulking mega armor suit, and he essentially is in a dreadnought. But if you can see between the armor bits, he is buff. He's massive. He's got these hulking legs, and you can see his arm under it and things like that. So he's not just a normal-sized dude in a mech suit, you know, like a Dreadnought or a Dread Knight or something like that. He is a massive, massive orc. Matter of fact, he's the largest orc they have ever made, and he's just awesome. He's got a super huge power claw. You know, we're used to either the one claw, the one finger, and the thumb, we're used to the two fingers of the thumb. He's got three giant fingers and a giant thumb. And that's on one arm. The other arm, he's got a four cannon gun, which looks super awesome. Lots of DACA. I do not have a single complaint about this model. I've heard a bunch of people complaining about it, and they're stupid. Matter of fact, he has a lot of things incorporated in him that you can obviously tell where the uh, influence comes from. Because his front right there is like a Death Dread. It's got the big teeth, you know, like the jaw and the teeth around him. And uh, that looks like a Death Dread. Something else that really caught me off guard was that they added feet on him that are similar to a Death Dread. If you look down here, I've not seen a single person talk about this, but he's got two like metal claws, one on each side of his foot, just like a Death Dread. And he's got exhaust pipes at the top, and they kept, I'm kind of happy they kept his uh, large skull thing. Remember, he had like a almost Texas-style steer skull or something on top of him. Well, now they've kind of modernized that a little. It's not as obvious on the model, but uh, it's got, instead of horns, it's got exhaust pipes. He's got hoses everywhere. He's just, he's so cool. And one other thing I'm excited about is that I often complain about them making models that are just monopose. Like, oh, this is it. You can't... They even make it hard to convert, you know, change up the pose or whatever. They already said that it comes with ways to make his head go left or right, and that his left arm can be brought up, or his right arm can be brought up. So he can either be shooting, or he can be basically raising his claw and... I just cannot say enough cool things about this model. The longer you look at this model, the more you're going to like it. When this first came out on Facebook, I heard a ton of complaining about it. People were like, his head is too small. And I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, this is where I get irritated with people complaining. I know this is a podcast. Sometimes we complain about stuff. I understand that there are things in my articles I complain about. Stuff like that. I get that. You know, that's that's part of the job is complaining. But we live in a time in Games Workshop's development and in their production where they are coming out with the best, prettiest, most technical models they have ever produced. And it's hard to argue that they don't make some of the best models in the entire industry. I know Weird Miniatures does some really cool stuff, and even Wrath of Kings has some really cool models, but Games Workshop all in all, is at the top of their game and the top of their market. So I think sometimes people get a little, I don't know how to say it, a little spoiled with the quality and the sheer volume of models that we get from Games Workshop. And then sometimes people get a feeling like 
they are smart or they are clever or their opinion matters when they want to take the piss out of something that is, in my opinion, a very, very nice looking model. A couple people have complained about the pose where, oh, he couldn't support his weight, blah, blah, blah. Okay, are we really going down that road of realism right here? I mean, we're talking about a fictional race, a fictional character in a fictional setting, and it's all over-the-top grimdark stuff, and you're going to talk about how, oh, he can't balance on that girder because he'd be too heavy. He's got servo assists and everything else. You know that. Like, you're just nitpicking at this juncture. There's a bunch of other people that I saw where they would Photoshop his arm at like five degrees different angle. And they're like, oh, I like this version much better. And I'm just like, F you. Okay. It's just, why do we have to nitpick something? And of course, this model may not be up your alley. Totally. I I get it. Everyone's got their own opinion. But to nitpick something so petty, I just find that to be really annoying. So anyway. Obviously, this is a want that for me, and I think the majority of people agree this is a pretty darn cool model, and this is the first time I've ever seen an orc model where I could actually say that it looks imposing. Compared to a orc boy is now with a scale creep, orc boys are looking littler and littler. The orc knobs really look how I feel like an orc boy should look, and the war bosses are kind of how I feel like knobs should look. And Gazskull, man, he is something to behold. Definitely I want that. Go check it out on their website. Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. It is that time again. Time for Real Talk with the Pimp Kron. And I've got to break some sad news to some people tonight. The topic for tonight is Old Hammer Doesn't Work. And... There's several reasons why I believe this. Let's get started. So first off, some of you, especially the newer players, may be wondering what exactly is Old Hammer? Well, Old Hammer is a term, and it's a pretty common term, referring to players that enjoy an older version of the rules for 40k or Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and they prefer them over the current rule set, so they may play 4th edition or 3rd edition or whatever. They choose to get off the train, essentially, at their favorite edition and only play those models and those rules that they like. You may have heard this term bandied about quite a bit during the whole birth of Age of Sigmar because people were like, screw this. Many people thought negatively about Age of Sigmar and decided to just keep playing 8th edition Warhammer Fantasy Battles. I believe there's also a fan-made 9th edition for Fantasy called 9th Age, and they changed things they didn't like about 8th edition, but essentially it's still 8th edition fantasy with a lot of tweaks. Either way, they've decided to stop participating in the current events of 
specifically Age of Sigmar, but there's a lot of people that did not like when 8th edition changed over to in 40k. Now that I've pissed some of you off already, let's go about something, a rule about gaming that I always mention, okay? This should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. While I am the digitized soul of ancient alien royalty in a menacingly handsome and disturbingly sexy metallic frame, I am not the king of gaming. As I always say, gaming should be fun and you should do whatever makes you happy. Plus, you may not want to change your entire life and your opinion on things only by a podcaster named Pimpcron, even if I do have a PhD in disco, which I do. This episode isn't really about bashing old hammer players because in a way they're taking a stance against the system and doing things their own way. I have a serious soft spot for all the old metal models and I go out of my way to add old marine models to my chaos army so I'm not hating on it in any way. I'm just explaining the problems I see in choosing to old hammer versus sticking with the current editions. On a side note, I'll probably piss off a lot of my friends that do like the older editions of things. And you know what? Oh, well, <laughs> this is this is my opinion. You have yours. Once again, golden rule of gaming. Do whatever you enjoy. If you like an old edition, whatever. I'm talking about the theoretics of Old Hammer and not sticking with the times. OK, the idea of Old Hammer is OK in theory. So your favorite game changes. You can either jump ship and quit playing or keep on keeping on. This sounds fine in theory because you get to keep playing the version that you like and don't have to worry about new rules or new models or new cheesy detachments or formations or a new Iron Hand supplement or etc. etc. Okay? It's funny because when Age of Sigmar came out and a lot of people were jumping ship, there was actually some people that were excited about Warhammer Fantasy being a quote-unquote dead game. And a lot of people started playing 8th edition or 9th age fantasy when it died. They didn't have to worry about new stuff constantly pouring in, new things to learn, and new stuff to try to counter on the battlefield. In a way, I see what they're saying. You get out of the rat race when you play a dead version of the game, but I think this view is pretty short-sighted in the long run. What about finding other players? This is probably the biggest hurdle for Old Hammer players. While there are plenty of Old Hammer players in the world, there probably aren't many near you specifically. When you think about it, the percentage of the world population that is willing to participate in this hobby is only so big to start with. As I've said before, our hobby is already a niche within a niche. There's only a certain amount of the people that are into nerdy culture, period. I'm talking comic books, movies, video games, whatever. Say 30%, 40%, whatever percentage you want. Then there's only a certain number of people that are into tabletop wargaming, but that includes RPGs, board games, historical, you know, um, wargaming. Then, of course, you've got your fictional wargaming like Warhammer or, or Kings of War and all that. So then you've got people that are only into a specific type, such as Warhammer. So you're talking about a niche which is geekdom, a niche which is tabletop, and a niche which is in a specific type of game. And then you're going to go dig deeper into an even smaller niche of, oh, only geeks that like tabletop games, that like war games, that like Warhammer, but also only like from this edition, which just seems so, so limiting. When you 
decide to get off the train in Old Hammer Country, you are really saying that the already tiny player base is just too darn crowded for you. You want to be in a niche inside a niche inside a niche, like a rushing nesting doll of niches. If that really tickles your fancy, then so be it. But most of us like new players joining our group, and new players extremely rarely join a dead game when there are living games out there with bells and whistles. It is a bit different if you happen to have a group of friends that agree to Old Hammer or a club of Old Hammer players nearby. I mean, really, you only need one other player that is into it to keep it going. But I would prefer to play different people because their strategies, or lack thereof, make the game different. It's always that infusion of new players that makes things interesting, and it changes the game, and it changes your not only your relationships, like your new new friends that you can make, but also your group has a chance to grow and there's things for people to be excited about. So what happens if you decide to jump off the train and only play an old edition of a game that I've already worn into the ground is super niche-like, right? Your game develops the attributes of bread. In short, your game gets stale. The power curve gets stale, the codexes get stale, the unit entries get stale, you lose all hope for a better codex. If you play the same edition and the same codexes for, let's say, 10 years, the armies that were on top at the beginning will undoubtedly be on the top at the end. There is a 0% chance that they will get any worse than other armies will get any better. The game would almost become rock, paper, scissors after you've played enough games. When Army A fights Army B, the battle will probably go the same way as it did every other game previously, generally speaking. That's that's the way it works. Like, for instance, you know, if you've played Warhammer for any amount of time, you've known when people were, you know, Eldar and Tau at one time were kick butt, right? Imperial Knights at one time were kick butt. Now, Iron Hands at one time have been kick butt, but they all have their time in the sun, and then they go down as other things go up. That's the nice fluctuation of a living rule set. Let's say you love a certain army, but they have a very underwhelming codex. Well, good luck with that if you're playing Old Hammer. They are never going to get better. How many of you are fine with hopping off the train and keeping your... 6th edition Space Marines Codex or Tyranids Codex forever. You know, Chaos Space Marines and Tyranids, for those of you who don't know, really sucked in 6th edition. Before 8th edition, every morning, I would go up to my Widow's Watch on my house just as the sun was rising, and I would look out at the unforgiving sea, desperately searching for a sign that my 100-plus gene stealers would one day be viable again. And it wasn't until 8th edition where I'm like, oh crap, now they can actually do something awesome. If I was stuck in 6th or 7th or 5th edition or whatever edition, guess what? Guess what? They'd still suck. Because Gene Steelers sucked for a long time, and now they're pretty decent. So, I think you get exactly what I'm saying. Your game after that becomes worse than bread. Okay? No new books no new models, or rules, or formations, or detachments, or supplements, or change of any kind. It has no growth. I mean, at least bread eventually develops some growth after it gets stale, right? We're talking about mold here, people. What keeps games like 40k alive for many players, including myself, is the fact that it is constantly evolving, and I am forced to deal with new threats. It spurs creativity and causes you to adapt to a changing environment, 
none of this happens in Old Hammer. I suppose this is mitigated a bit if you play an evolving version of Old Hammer, such as the Ninth Age stuff, you know, which is community-driven. I used to play Blood Bowl frequently a few years ago using the community-developed rules, and, and they were great, so it can be done. All I'm saying is that if you choose the Old Hammer route, you are fighting an uphill battle. But since we are talking about a game based off of battles to start with, maybe you're up for the challenge. I don't know. But you got to understand, that is my point in saying all of this. I really feel like you should know what you're getting into when you start Old Hammering because you are greatly limiting yourself. Now, I'm also a solo gamer. There's a lot of Old Hammers that are solo gamers. They only play by themselves or they only have two friends they play with. Great, whatever. I'm not burning you at the stake here, people, so don't get mad at me. If you disagree, please email me at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron and just let me know what your thoughts on Old Hammer are and if I'm totally off base, you let me know because I am willing to fight over this point and I really, I think it's all irrefutable. Everything I have said I feel is fair and true and honest and it does not mean you can't have fun with Old Hammer. Totally get that. But you are seriously limiting yourself. So, thank you for listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. I am the Pimpcron, in case you're, like, really, really slow on the uptake. And thank you to all my Patreon subscribers for supporting our show. Toodaloo!